Good morning. It is Danger Dan. This is Danger Dan's Talk Shop. Whoa. It's been a while since I've done one of these. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, I know. I've had a lot of people reach out like, what the fuck is going on? I apologize. You know, I was going to do a recap on Born Free Texas because it was amazing. And then I had some, like, vehicle troubles. And then I... I flew to Nepal, went to Kathmandu to ride motorcycles up the Himalayas with Motorcycle Sherpa, and that was phenomenal. And I'm back. Uh, more on that trip in a little bit. But today's show, uh, I sat down with Justin Edelman. He is on Instagram. You might have seen some of his videos or content at Warthog Bike. He's a filmmaker who recently got a Pan Am so that he could like have a versatile tool to help him capture more content with this camera. And he has absolutely fallen in love with it. And it's always impressive to see somebody pick up something new and not only get better at it, but fall in love with it. And I hope that you guys enjoy this podcast. This show, like all shows, is brought to you by MC Shop Tees, your t-shirt of the month club. The only way to support every local motorcycle shop. That's right. Each month we send out a brand new t-shirt to each one of our subscribers. Each one of these t-shirts featuring a different shop from around the country. Every month we find a new shop and we do a new t-shirt design. It's pretty fucking rad. And I feature all kinds of motorcycle shops. Sometimes they're not in the country. One shop I featured, Che Boards out of Costa Rica, specializes in shaping and making surfboards. But everybody at that shop had ridden their motorcycle there. So there was motorcycles and it was a shop. Now, I don't do that all the time, but... I did at that point, and it was fucking sweet. I've also, you know, my favorite kind of shops to feature are the ones that specialize in keeping you in the wind. The first shop I ever featured was Brown Cycles, and that was five years ago? Fuck, that was my first shop. Brown Cycles out of Dallas, Texas. They've been in business for 50 years. That's right, family-owned and operated. And they're bad as fuck. It's my local shop. If I need some shit that's sitting on the shelf, that's where I go. I hope that you have a local shop that's, you know, half as good as Brown Cycles in Dallas, Texas. Uh, next month's featured shop, which will be my 60th shop, 60th month in a row to put out a new t-shirt, which is fucking wild, is Dwayne's Powertrains out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, he hasn't quite been around. Hell, he hasn't been alive as long as... Brown Cycles has been open, but he is specializing in keeping old Harley Davidsons on the road, untweaking the tweaker motors, as he put it. So that's fucking rad. But you got to sign up before the end of this month to guarantee you get a shirt from MC Shop Tees featuring Dwayne's powertrains. And trust me, you're going to want it. Nick Resty did the artwork, and it's fucking bad. Anyhow, 
I, uh, sorry, if you can't tell, I've been gone for a minute. I had to take a couple weeks off. I went and rode motorcycles across Nepal with motorcycle Sherpa, and it was fucking incredible. It's my first chance to be like, have more of a leadership role. And his team, his crew, fuck, they're so good. The crew that came and rode with us was awesome, dude. I mean, we had we had a 77-year-old dude who was a ripper, man. This guy owned like a Kawasaki and Honda dealership back in the 70s and 80s. Dude, that's like the fucking prime time for that shit. Uh, he broke three ribs the third day in and didn't say anything and just kept hustling. He didn't say anything until he got back and was able to send a fucking picture of his x-ray. Pretty rad. Uh, it, it was a really good trip. We got custom i think we picked up five custom suits a lot of people were down this year and we got some wild dragon prints it's dude they're fucking sweet i can't wait to show it to you i hope that you will go check out motorcyclesherpa.com the trips for next year have been booked uh i believe i will be leading my first tour uh the first two weeks in November. We're still ironing out the details but i assure you that this trip is going to book up just like the last one so MotorcycleSherpa.com. Uh, there's also somebody's going to win a trip at the end of this year, which I cannot wait to give away. Hopefully, you are a part of the Patreon so that you have got a name in the hat. If you're not familiar, you want to support the show, but you don't want any more t shirts, go to DangerDanceTalkShop.com. There's a Patreon support link where you can donate five bucks a month to keep this show on the road. This show is only possible. Because of listeners like you. Trust me. Uh, each month I got a $100 gift card for low... I'm going to... Today's show, I'm giving away a $100 gift card to Low Brow Customs. Now, this, you know, it's almost... What is it? Uh, Thanksgiving. Shit, I almost forgot about that. It's almost Thanksgiving. Low Brow is doing a super sale right now. I think it started... It's It's been going on, you know? Uh, so go check them out. They fucking got rad shit, and they can keep your bike fucking looking rad. They got tires. They got exhaust. They got fenders. They got tanks, sportster parts, triumph parts, and big twin parts. They use a bunch of locally manufactured parts. Uh, they manufacture some of their own. It They're fucking great. Um, hell, let's, you know. Right now, I have this list of people that are current Patreon subscribers, right? Each one of these guys is in the hat to win a $100 gift card to Lowbrow Customs. But they also, this month, get their name put in a bigger hat that has even more names in it. And somebody from that hat is going to win an expedition thanks to Motorcycle Sherpa, which is fucking rad. I will be giving that away around Christmas. But today, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 88, 88, one feather press, Thomas at one feather press, dude, so Thomas just won a $100 gift card to Lowbrow Customs, now Thomas has been donating $100 a month. His name is gone into the hat 10 times every month that he has contributed $100. If he doesn't win the trip to Nepal, somebody else is going to. 
Anyways, Thomas, thank you for contributing. And don't let him scare you off from fucking jumping in there. It only takes one entry to win a trip to Nepal thanks to Motorcycle Sherpa. Uh, yeah, man, that's fucking, wow, I just, I'm out of shape, but I just did that all in six minutes. I know there's some shows coming up. No, there's not. It's the end of the fucking year, dude, and I'm so thankful for all of you. Uh, I am doing the leftover sell like I do every Friday after Thanksgiving. All the leftover MC shop tees that I didn't send out to my subscribers uh, or I didn't send to the shops. This is my secret stash that I save so that I can sell to all the current subscribers. And if you want to get in on this, go to MC shop. Cause even if you sign up, I mean, you just have to be a subscriber. So if you sign up before Friday, you will get an email in your email box and you'll be, you'll have access to all the leftovers. Now, the way I do this, since I don't have all the sizes for all the styles and I don't have all the styles, the way it's going to work is it'll be separated by sizes. So you just say, I want an extra large shirt. You click the extra large link and it'll show you all the shirts that are available in extra large. If you want a large, you just click the large and, you know, and I have soft and heavy shirts, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, it's, you're just going to get whatever size you want. I think we'll see. I still got to stay up all night long and, figure out how to put all this onto the internet like I do every year. Anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, it's listeners like you that make this shit possible. And I have a bunch of rad shit in line for next year. Uh, I've got a list of people that I'm going to have on the podcast. And I think you're going to be pretty stoked. You know, I kind of got away from the original routine of like sharing people's stories with you as I started traveling and like just turn this podcast into like a diary of what the fuck I was doing and where I was going. If you do have any requests, email me, Dan at Danger Dance Talk Shop. And don't just tell me somebody's name. Tell me their name, how to get a hold of them, and, and why everybody would enjoy hearing them on the podcast. So once again, thank you. This podcast you're fixing to listen to with Justin Edelman. I went down to Austin. He was at his girl Maggie's place. And, you know, the reason I reached out to him, you know, we've been kind of communicating for a little over a year now. I finally got to ride with him this year. And then he made some post about fucking running from the law and living on a sailboat. And I was like, what? I got to learn more about that. So we talk about that. We talk about his ambitions and you know, the creative things that he's done uh, as a filmmaker and learning how to ride an adventure bike. So hope you enjoy this podcast, DangerDanceTalkShop.com. Thank you. Oh, come on. Now, I know you're wondering why I brought you here today. Yeah. First off, I want to know how this weekend went at the Austin Moto Adventure. Uh, it was pretty sweet. Yeah? I mean, interestingly enough, like, I've never really done any formal training. Really? So it was, this was the first time going through and doing the fundamental foundation stuff. So clutch work, brake work, balance. And, it, you know, I kind of, like, when I got into this, I just hit the trail. Yeah. And I had a couple people who took me under their wing, taught me a few things, but I never really had, like, a class. So what was your experience before you got your Pan America? I was a sport, sports bike rider. 
Oh, like fucking, like leader bikes? CBR, I had a Jixxer 1000, and then... Did you stunt ride them? No. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, what, did you just go fast, or you like, just, just, fast. just meetups? What you, what you, like, uh, what is that community like if you're not stunting? You know, it's weird, man, like, I feel like I didn't really have a community. Like, okay. I just would ride the bike by myself way more. Which is exciting in its Which own. Which was cool, yeah, yeah. but... It, like now being in Harley, it's, oh, it's interesting because there's such a community, dude. Yeah, it's really rad. Even like between ADV and then Harley itself, like that's yeah, you're you're dipping into two of them right out of the gate. Exactly. And those are two, you know, ADV has a giant community itself. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a very, uh, uh, what's the word? You know, very grateful and humble community that is willing to take people in. And adventurers. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of them. Yeah. Some not so much. Some there, there is a lot of like... Adventure the, from the garage to Starbucks. Yeah, there's a lot of like that Jeep mentality, you know? Right. Fit it for the off-road and leave it on the pavement. Sure. Uh, but, but still, e- even then, those those guys are still like, you know, they're like the community, like the forums, they're, you know, what other motorcycle group is still using forums like those guys? I mean, I don't know... I don't know. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. A lot of Facebook guys, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that Facebook, yeah, the Facebook forums. Fuck, I, there is, when the Pan America came out, how many forums came out? There's like the Pan America fanatics. fanatics. The Pan America America. Now there's the connoisseurs. The connoisseurs. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. I remember I sub- subscribed or joined a handful of them, and I'd never, hardly ever used them at all. Um, it seemed like right out of the gate, all there was was people complaining about the yeah. clock not working. The like, clock. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> when I would one. see that, I'd be like, I can't do it. I yeah. can't read any. Like, if that's what you're, if that's what you're complaining about here on the sure. internet, then you're not using your motorcycle. I mean, I feel like so. I'm actually one of the admins on the Fanatics group, and they've really done a lot of work now to try to like make it more positive, make sure that. There are a lot of frequently asked questions on the Pan America and having those at the top of the forum so that way when people come to the page, it's they all there. They don't ask the, the same questions there. that have been They're not asked the a thousand questions. fucking yeah. times. Exactly. And also, obviously, from year one to now year three coming up on year four, there's a lot of, the bikes have improved a lot. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like a lot of that initial first year bike kind of complaint stuff is starting to Well, subside. it's crazy because it went from like, Selling the most units in North America, and then all you saw was people complaining about some of the lemons that went out. Because to be honest, there was like that first year, there was some problems with just like anything, you sure. know, when something comes out. I mean, that's like so far from uh, what Harley has been doing the past fucking 50 I mean, years. Now, having been in the ADV community for a minute, a big thing that I keep hearing from everybody, these BMW guys have been doing this for a while, and KTM and all that. They're all just like, dude, Harley came out really hitting hard with this bike. Yeah, so... Like, yeah. the technology they've packed into this thing is rad. It's a good bike for a first-year bike. And all of the OEMs have problems. Like, it's not just... BMW had a massive recall recently. I mean, they stopped the sale of, I think it was like 40,000 bikes or something like that. And their whole lineup. Their whole lineup. Yeah. So it's like, it's not just... And they've been doing this for 40 years, right? Yeah. So well, I mean, just... shit happens, uh, and you're just that's just part of it. But what I was getting at is, like, the, the first initial wave, those bikes got bought. Yeah. And then there was just a bunch of, like, negative feedback where I just got mine and started beating the Going. fuck out of it <laughs> yeah. from the get-go. And I, you know, 
I was fortunate enough to not have a bike with any weird problems. And if there was some, I didn't notice them because I was coming from a 1959 <laughs> kickstart chopper, you know? Like, right. People would ask me that first year, so what do you think of it? And I'm like, well, I'm probably not the guy, you know, because this is amazing. Like, everything about it is light years ahead of what I've been riding, you know? Sure. My adventure bike before that was a 1994 Sportster yeah. that I, you know... Converted to yeah, dirt bike. Which, honestly, that doing that helped me so much transitioning to the Pan America. A big bike that's, you know, riding it off-road. Because that Sportster I had, like, is much work and as much as I put into like making it an off-road bike, it was still a sportster, you know, and it wasn't the best thing, but it got the job done and you had to ride that bike, you know, like you couldn't, you couldn't ride the trails as though it was a full on dirt bike. Like you, you had to ride that bike to what it was capable of, which set me up perfect for being on the Pan America and just like finding out that its limits were far beyond what I was doing with the Sportster. Sure. And it, not only to mention that, it was fast as fuck. It's a lot of power. It, dude, there's so much to it. And, yeah, it's been amazing. So, yeah, so they sold a bunch. Then there was, like, a, a hold up because of all, you know, if you looked it up on the Internet, all you saw was people complaining. You didn't see the other people that were out there riding the piss out of it. You know, I wasn't the only person to push it the limits sure. right out of the gate. There was people overseas doing it, like, I remember, like, within that first year, there were some dudes that, like, rode up the Himalayas. There yep. were some guys that, I like, just rode, with them. rode to the fucking, the Arctic Circle or something. Like, there was a a handful of people that really well, pushed then, it. Well, screw it, let's ride. Literally, yeah. they didn't just go down to South America. They went around South they America. They went around the whole fucking yeah. continent. It's and crazy. then up through America to Alaska. And then... I mean, I think they just left the Americas for the first time in two years. Yep. They just went back to Poland. Fucking insane. From. Did you get to hang out with them yeah, at all? Yeah, at the 120th. Nice. Super nice people. Dude, them, I'm... Cynthia Franklin, Whit Meza, they were all at the homecoming. Oh, yeah, Whit Meza, what'd she do? She did like 10,000 miles dude, in 10 days or some she, shit. Like the Iron Butt Queen, dude. She just crushes it. She's, she's crazy. She was one of the first, she was the first person... To ride to all 48, That's lower 48, was, 48, on a Pan America. Yeah, yeah. And then she ended up getting that bike. They gave the the motor company found it for her and. What'd she do? Rent it? Uh, they gave it to her. Uh-oh. Fucking right, GoPros. Well, fucking Justin here is a, a a photographer, a filmographer. What, what do you what do you filmmaker? What's your, a filmmaker. Filmmaker, photographer. That's way easier to say. Sure. Oh man. Videographer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so she did crush it right out of the yep. gate. That was what? So what's, was 21. I got a question for you. What are the top two questions you get asked about the Pan America? Oh, what are the top two questions I get asked? Because I, ha- I have two, but I'm curious to hear what your are, yours I, are. I don't. Um, do you like it? That's the first question. That's definitely the first one. Do, yeah. What do you think of it? Do you Which like it? Which I feel it? like a lot of people with your experience and everything would be really curious to know, like, that's yeah. a good question. Uh, what's the other one? I would have thought, like, how does it compare? But I'm not even a good person for that. I guess, yeah, do you like it? What has, what's, what have been the flaws or what is broken on it? What, what is it, what trouble has it given you? Yeah. That's... And everything, I, all the shit, even when I thought it was the bike acting up, everything I've experienced has been, Owner, operator. 
Well, you really put it through the paces, dude. I know. <laughs> I've broken some things on it from just like... Romping it. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly that. I've seen some videos out there. <laughs> I think my top two questions are... First one is always, is that a Harley? That's like the number one question. Oh, yeah. I Especially like that. strangers or whatever. People come up to me at a gas station. I love it. I mean, well, people say that to me about my chopper, too. Yeah, They're right. Like, that's is true. that a Harley? You're is used that to that Sportster? question. Yeah, right. Uh, and then the second question, especially owner to owner, is like, so what problems have you dealt with, right? Yeah. But, you know, again, that's one of those things where I feel like in the beginning, way different from now. Like, they've made huge jumps on the firmware, for example. Uh, a lot of the, like, the 22s and 23s, they worked out a lot of the kinks that were definitely See, a problem in that first year. So yeah, you're know. lucky, man. I, <laughs> I had never owned a Harley before, and everybody's like, don't buy a so Harley. I want to go back to that. So what made you jump from street bikes to an adventure bike sure uh first of all i had no idea what adventure i'd never seen long way around none of that stuff right so i didn't even know about the adv community and then i ended up linking up with maggie and we put together this little film she was gonna ride her lowrider s to all four corners of the u.s and we put together a film to try to get some sponsorship for her to do that trip. Mm -hmm. And then we reached out. We got a couple contacts at Harley, sent in the video. And they were like, this is awesome. We'd love to support you. And we'd like to put you on one of our new bikes. It's called the Pan America for part of your trip. So she was like, hell yeah. And took the bike. And I went with her to pick it up. And I was like, man, that's cool. Like, I think that's really interesting as a filmmaker and a photographer I thought it was like, this is a like great utility bike. I can put my gear on the bike and I can go get off road and get places, you know, shoot down on people or whatever, right? Yeah. And um, then what ended up happening is I followed Kaylin. So you saw it as a tool. I saw it as a tool. Yeah. And I followed Kaylin and Maggie into Sturgis a few months later and shot another film. And on that trip, I got to ride the bike a little bit. And I was like, dude, this thing's rad. Coming from a, a leader bike and going to that. It wouldn't be like going from a leader bike and then riding a fat boy. Right, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. went from like, because that's essentially what that, I mean, it is a sport bike. It's a sport bike. Fuck like, yeah, it it's is. More, way more comfortable than riding a sport bike. Fuck yeah. It's way you know, more so there was that. I was like, man, because I, I, I used to ride up from San Diego to LA on my sport bike. And by after an hour, I was like dying. You know, my back was killing Fuck me. Yeah, you were. It wasn't. It's not fun to do that stuff. It's fun <laughs> to go do the windies and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like not. That a, tool is not as a uh, wide. Doesn't have as many uses. Yeah, totally. So that was it. And then once I got the bike, then people reached out to me. So you know Justin Kleider. Mm -hmm. He reached out to me. He's like, hey, man, I like your photography. You do good work, but I can tell you don't know how to ride that bike. How would you like to go meet up with me? And we did a little kind of intro, and he took me through Death Valley and rode on that bike. And that's when I started learning about what these bikes are capable of. I also went to... A screening of the BDR film. That was the mm -hmm. first ADV event that I went to. I when didn't they did even the know. Wyoming one? It was the Wyoming one. And yeah. I didn't, I think it was the Wyoming one. Well, that was the most recent one. No, it was two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, two years ago. Yep. So they haven't put out another one since then, have they? I don't they? think so. They did a BDRX. But I didn't even yeah. know what a BDR was. Yeah. You know, and then I went to this event and there was, everybody's watching this like hour long film about the BDR. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I didn't know this existed. You know, like, and then it just turned into this obsession. Then I watched it the long way around, long way up, long way down, you know, all that stuff. And was like, this is cool. And started going to ADV rallies. So I did like get on ADV Fest. 
Um, I did March Moto Madness, but there's one that's in California. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of started jumping to these things and started doing clinics at them. I went to the Zakar place where you did training. I didn't um, do it there. You didn't do training at Zakar? Mm -hmm. I thought you did. Okay. No, I did at the other. It was the through spot. Ra it was yeah, through it, was at, it was at the original facility. Gotcha. They were okay. building that spot when I yeah. went through there. So that that was, uh, but I didn't. I didn't do training there. I just went to a, one of these rallies, ADV rallies, and the funny thing is, simultaneously, I was filming and photographing Maggie and some of these other big events like Sturgis, mm -hmm. and so it was like that stuff to me is just wild and overwhelming. And then doing the ADV rallies, it's like everybody's in bed at ten. No one's getting hammered. I mean, like maybe a couple people, but they're all waking up early and they want to hit the trails. And I yeah, was like, yeah. this is my tribe. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the big Sturgis stuff and homecoming, it's super fun, but that's not what I'm out there seeking to do necessarily. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not trying to jump from one watering hole to the next. I'm trying to go out to a real watering hole somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and that's what I love about You can America. do both those things. That's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now that I got a Harley, I'm welcome to do both. So. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, you were going to those events without so, – but so you just went to, like, your first training this weekend. First uh, official training. It's amazing, like, how little input is needed to gain a lot more, like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, confidence and you know get that bike to do what you want it to do like there's little things that probably would have helped you out a ton the past couple We're, of years dude i wish i wish i had taken this class two years ago so that was you know when i did that intro with bmw i mean <clears throat> the weekend i went they had like a beginner class and an intermediate and i was like well i mean i'm not a beginner but i've also never ridden a bike like this so i think i did like a couple hours at the beginner thing and they were like get the fuck out of here and go do the other one but I learned so much that fucking weekend. Uh, and stuff that I like, I probably was doing to some degree, but wasn't conscious of why I was doing it. It's just like what I learned by trial and error and spending time in the seat on the dirt. Uh, but that was, fair. I mean, I think everybody should go do training. Totally. I, mean, I think it's, and I'm glad that they're doing it. So recently I met a guy, he's like the, uh, what do you call He's like the sales rep of a bunch of dealerships. And he was like, man, I need to figure out how to, you know, we need, I want you to help me, like, sell these things. You know, like, we need to get more of them out there. How, yeah. what, what, what do you think we need to do? And my first thought was, like, going back to that experience at Rawhide, how that place, like, not only was it teaching people how to ride, it was, like, curating a community of people that, like, wanted to do the same things that were at the same you're, level. You're building a tribe. each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, and almost, uh, you're uh, not giving one a crutch, but you're like, you're like, yeah, you're giving a meeting point, you know, like a common denominator for everybody to connect at. And I was like, that's what needs to be done. So I dreamed up the idea of doing one and then talk to you because you're coming to Texas and then you're going to this place. And I look into it. I'm like, well, fuck, they're doing it already. But, and this so is not only that, not only are they doing it, but this is the only facility in the United States that's renting out Pan Ams to be able to train on. Yeah. They're the first one. Like, and that's killer. I mean, if you're so a lot of guys on those Facebook groups, it's like. Yeah, they have a $20,000 bike, you know what I mean, or plus. And they don't want to go drop their bike. But now no. you can go rent one at a training facility. That's It's okay. And, you know, dude, for me, I remember the first time that I dropped the Pan America. And it's like, I, you, you never drop a sports bike. Like, you don't want to. If you do, it's probably pretty bad. 
I mean, those things are all plastic, so they just explode, basically, you know? And, uh, but I remember the first time I dropped the Pan Am, and, you know, I had the, en like, the engine guard got scratched, and I was like, oh, and I was so bummed about it, and then I brought it in to get serviced, and I was, like, talking to one of the mechanics, I was like, yeah, I dropped it, and he's like, that's what it's for, dude, and I was like, huh. All right, you know, yeah, now the things just scratch. Now the things scratch the hell all over it, you know, dents in the tank, and I beat well, the hell out of it. You're not gonna get any better unless you go. You gotta go beat find it up. where that edge is at. Totally, and you I know. like pushing that edge, you know. And the bike is really very capable of taking a beating, you know. Like I have dropped that thing so much, and just keeps gets up and keeps I've going. I've hit a truck. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped it off a fucking bridge one time. <laughs> I've dropped it in multiple. I think I've your water. edge, your edge is way further along than my edge. <laughs> I dropped it in a mud puddle one time. This is like, I don't know. Within, I think it was Memorial Day weekend in twenty one. I'm out riding these side by side trails by myself, fucking slipping some mud, and I swear I could see the exhaust part of the tail section and the handlebar sticking up out of the water. And I was like, oh, oh my no. God, this is not good. Yeah. And I just picked it up and I like pushed it to the side. There was like some people on a side by side that wanted to help. I'm like, you can't do anything. Just get the fuck out of here. You know, I shouldn't have said that because it could have at least given me a ride back. But I pressed the button and that fucker started right That's up. And awesome. I was like, didn't flutter anything. No huh? way. Well, it probably sent some through the cylinders. Yeah. I can't imagine how it wouldn't have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, you definitely pushed Dropped that thing, Dropped it dude. in a river in Panama. Yeah. I've gotten, you know, I, I, yeah. It's funny, somebody hit me up one day and they were like, I'm having trouble going through water. When I go through like three or four inches, like something shorts out or something happens, and I'm like, that's interesting. And I send them a picture and I'm like, mine's laying on its side and I'm standing next to it and I got water up to my knee. And I was like, Mine bike didn't even stop running. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. Did they uh, have know. an aftermarket, like, battery or? No, I have no clue. Did I they put, like, anymore. lights I mean, what, I know a lot of people have trouble routing those wires down below. Yeah. Like, when they put on a new skid plate or take off the old one and put it back on. If you, you know, you can easily pinch a fucking wire. In sure, there, you know, for like, sure. Like I've said, most of my... Most of the problems I've had have all been operator error. Same, you know, dude. Like, this last BDR had so much shit rattle off. And <coughs> yeah, which all, one did you do? I did the Arizona BDR. How was it? Awesome. Absolutely beautiful. Lots of sand? No, I didn't. We actually, we went from Utah down to Glow, basically, and then we cut out at Phoenix. We had a guy who broke his leg on our trip. Yeah, you'll so, have that. Yeah. Um, happens. And then that kind of changed what we ended up doing. You know, yeah. we, we decided, like, at that point... Was there a big group? Uh, it was going to be six. We were five, and then we ended up being three. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But it was a good group, dude. Everybody was super chill. Like, uh, the other two guys I was with had done a few BDRs. And How'd you, how'd you curate this group? Uh, social media, dude. I mean, that's like, honestly, it's the best way to, like, it's the best way to meet up with people, for me at least. I mean, I met those guys that rode to the top of the Himalayas on the Pan Americas through social media, you know, um, I mean, that's part of it. This guy who runs Rosin is his name, who runs the uh, Awesome Moto Adventures. We met at the ADV Fest in Sturgis, okay. and I rode, I went out and rode with him, and, uh, you know, and then it was, he was like, hey, man, I'm having this school. You got to come down here and check it out, and I was like, okay, you yeah. know, but, you know, so those kind of, those ADV 
fest and those rallies and then social media. So how did you guys pick Arizona? Um, Time of year. I I just, I got invited, honestly. You know, they were like, we're doing a content mission. We'd love for you to come take photos and video with us, but come ride, you know? And that was how I got on that trip. And it was, again, it was just like one of the guys, Josh Jones, he did a clinic actually at the homecoming. And we've been staying in touch through Instagram and, He's like, hey, dude, we're going to do the Arizona VDR. You want to come? And I was like, yep, let's go. Yeah, those are that's fucking, how it they're so good. I would like to do all of them. Uh, Me too. I don't know which ones I'm going to do this you year. You did Colorado. Which ones have you done? You did Colorado. Done Colorado, half of New Mexico, and half of Wyoming. Which one's your favorite so far? I mean, Colorado. Yeah. I think I fucked up by doing that one first. Because, like, the standard's this high, huh? Yeah. Was there any, like, really hard sections on it? Uh, it depends on your definition of hard. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's difficult sections. Yeah. There was some really rocky stuff. I remember one section we were going up. What's the name of it? Maybe it's Slum Again? No, it's not Slum Again. Maybe it is. But we're like, it's starting to get rocky, and I remember this spot being technical, and the guy I rode with it. When I went by myself, I ended up hooking up with a guy named David Mann on a KTM. And we got to this section, and he was like, just go on. This is too rocky. I got to go slow. So I knew that this was a technical spot, so I stopped everybody. We had we make some coffee on the side of the trail. I'm like, all right, this is it gets kind of technical, you know, like whatever. And when we leave, these two guys on Tenere's come down the mountain, and I stop, I stop everybody on the trail. I'm like, you know, what the fuck are y'all doing? And the, the guys were like, you guys, make sure you take it, you know, really easy. It's fucking technical up there. And we were like, okay. And the five of us just blitzed out of there, like bouncing off of each other, just ripping ass up the whole fucking mountain. Uh, and that was the most technical part was us riding as aggressive as we were. I mean, what I, what I found on Arizona BDR was that, like, I've done harder stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I've gone out with Justin Kleider, for example, and, and, and Bishop, and we did some stuff that was definitely pretty challenging. But what I, at least what I feel like with the BDRs is that, it's difficult to the degree that you have a loaded down bike. You know what I mean? So it's like, it wouldn't be that hard if you didn't have a loaded down bike, right? Like it's a a lot less, but I don't know. I don't know how Colorado was. And that was a big relief because it's like, this is super cool that you can go do something like this with a loaded down bike, all your stuff. And it's still challenging. It's still fun. It's like every day you're like, you know, you're on breaking your toes. Breaking legs and shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> breaking legs was also kind of playing around in a way that he shouldn't have been playing around. Yeah, I think all the the incidents that we had where it was like, all right, let's leave the trail and go see what's over there. Yeah. And then we would get in the fucked up shit, you know. But there are some sections, like, on the trail. I mean, I think on the Colorado there's a couple of offshoots, like Expert or Novice. You yeah. Know, we took all the hardest we routes. We did all the Expert ones, yeah. And then we... We added in our own export stuff just because I know that area. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the most difficult part was like some of that slick fucking mud when we got up sure. to Wyoming, you know? Yeah. Before Sturgis, you remember all that rain? It rained that, like hell. I mean, it was fucking wet. It was weird. Deadwood was dead. Remember last last year, not this year, but last year, it was the whole all the streets were totally covered in bikes. You could barely Whoa. move around. And this year, Deadwood like, is never dead when I'm there. Well, all right, that's fair. just not that's happening. Not <laughs> I wasn't fair. paying attention to the how many bikes were there, but it was it was, it was, it was wet this out. year. Yeah, yeah. It was, 
I don't. I didn't stay the whole time. I was only there for the Harley Pan America owner's ride, and then I left. Yeah. And I think it cleared up after I left. So, <laughs> but it was raining a lot. Yeah. It was wild. I think by the time we got there, we'd already done so much of that that it was not. Uh, I mean, yeah. You guys had a hell of a ride. We, we it was a good ride. It, it was, was cool. We. That's I mean, a, the Colorado ride is great though. I mean, you literally can point a camera any direction and it's going to be a sweet shot sure uh and it, you know the colorado one it traverses every type of terrain that colorado has to offer i mean it's it's very well done and i imagine that all of them are that because they put so much work and effort into curating those trails totally and then uh you know all the logistics that come with it as far as like the camping the gas the food the hotels it's, it's awesome you know covering the amount of miles like giving you a guideline as to what you should shoot for each right. day. Uh, we pretty much stuck to the, well, we stuck to the guideline for most of it. The first time I did it by myself, I did about two sections a day. And then with the group, I think we did that a couple of times, but most of the time we would just do a section a day. Fuck, I don't even remember now, honestly. We would just ride. I guess since I did it the first time, instead of following their sections, I knew where I wanted to camp. I was like, I know this is a good spot. Like, we're going to keep riding. We're going to go here. Trust me. We're not going to. Even if we're finding it in the dark, we're, it's going to be epic when the sun when comes When you wake up. up. So, yeah. yeah. So, I got a question for you. As far as, like, doing BDRs, like, so you've done it solo. Yeah. And then you've done it with a group. What do you prefer? Oh, absolutely a group. Yeah. Yeah, a capable group. Yeah. You know, like. Not just any group. Sure. You know, I put a lot of effort into curating uh, not only the rides that I go on, but the people that go with me, you know, like that's, that can make or break a trip. Like, totally. Like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I would love to have a bunch of people with me every time, you know. When I look in my rearview mirror or get up and turn around and look over my shoulder and there's four other Pan Ams charging up the same shit, Pretty fucking sick. Pretty rad. You know, like, yeah. it's it's awesome. Like so, the, ca- the cavalry. Yeah, it's just the boys, you know? Yeah, right. Fucking, we're out there. Yeah, that was, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll do more of them. Uh, I'm sure Arizona was not as difficult as Colorado. Yeah, I heard, like, I mean, Southern California is pretty challenging. Yeah, a lot of sand. sand. Yeah, that in Utah. Utah. Utah's a lot of sand. Yeah. I heard there's a good section in the middle that's rough, for sure. Yeah. Just, like, a heat stroke is easy to happen because it gets so hot and you're just burning. You know what I mean? Like, you're hustling to get through those sections. Yeah, quit listening to old people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's all that gear you guys are wearing. Right? That's why you're getting so hot. <laughs> the vortex, vortex, right? Dude. No, I'm sure it is hot. But you got to know the right time. You don't want to do Utah sure. in the middle of the summer. But I know I have read in Utah that, like, there is some high stuff that you got to do in the summertime, and then the hotter stuff is, like, you know, if you're doing that in the summertime, it's fucking hot. What's high on your list of next BDRs? Oh, uh, Utah. Utah. Southern California. You know. for the tough ones, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love to do the rest of Wyoming. I hear the section I did in Wyoming is, like, lackluster compared to the second half. Uh I want to do the rest of New Mexico, you know. Yeah, there's fucking so many places I want to ride that bike to. 
So what I heard about New Mexico this weekend is that uh, it's great because it has such a variety yeah. along the way. Like you're not, you're just getting a little bit of everything. You know, there's like mountains and there's yeah. sand. And I mean, there's, that's how Colorado is. It's yeah. like it takes you through all the geographical options that are through that state. Yeah, that's and cool. I'm sure they do that in New Mexico. Well, I mean, it goes from south to north and north to south. Like New Mexico has a very wide array. I sure. mean, you start out in the desert down there by, you know, the Panhandle, the Chihuahua Desert, yeah. and then you end up at the Rockies. Yeah. So there's a lot in a between. Lot of variety. Yeah, and with all that, like the stuff we rode through around Santa Fe, you know, like yeah. that one section, uh, what was it, just, I think it was when we were headed up towards um, Chama. It was a stretch road I'd never been on, and there was all those rock formations everywhere. Well, there's a fucking ton of off-road trails over there. Right. Like, I cannot wait to go back, back and do that Back up and do shit. that stuff. Speak, just edit all that out. We don't need anybody to know anything more about New Mexico. I can't believe they invited a bunch of fucking YouTubers to <laughs> show off my favorite place. <laughs> well, it's not just your favorite place. It's Jokin's favorite place. I know. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait to drive more dirt over there. Yeah. But I also want to go to Mexico. There's stuff that, you know, I've ridden my chopper through that, you know, I've ridden my chopper a lot of sweet places, but that Pan American can, like, you know, take me off that road. Sure. I've been through. So I look forward to exploring some of those spots. I heard some sections down in Mexico are awesome. I mean, aside from Baja's, you know, kind of desert and whatever, but in the on the other side, it's supposed to be, like, just gorgeous. Have the you canyon, Copper Canyon. No, I haven't been to any of that. That's incredible. I mean, I've been to Mexico, but not on a motorcycle. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, that's a, that's one of the things, that I, again, I love about this bike. It just has opened up how I will experience the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's before. it's always been in cars and hiking or something like that. But riding on a motorcycle overseas. Yeah, I guess you've never done, you know, the leader bike doesn't take you. No. <laughs> doesn't. Get you across. I guess you can you're go track cross, hopping around the yeah, world, you know what I mean? Like crossing country yeah. lines. I never took it that serious where I was doing track and stuff, and I, that's cool to me too. But, you know, I think going overseas and, like, dude, riding the Himalayas or your trip in Nepal and doing it on a bike, it's just, it's rad, you know? Yeah. Like, Yeah. How do you, I mean, it's got to be tough visually capturing the shit that you experience on a motorcycle and sharing it because it's like, even with all the technology available, it's hard to do that, right? You know, like... I feel like my experience as a filmmaker has sort of almost, like, massaged me into this role. In okay. the sense that before I did motorcycles, I did sailing. And I was doing a lot of the big sailboat races around the world. And, and like, the thing is, is, like, I mean, it's different in the sense that there's so many landscapes that you're constantly having to like try to film or photograph or whatever on a boat, you're stuck on the boat all day. And how do you make that interesting? Yeah. You know, but it's these extreme conditions. So like sailing on the water, salt water is one of the worst environments for equipment, you know, and challenging. Like how do you film stuff when it's shitty weather outside? Yeah. So, I mean, do you have another boat when you're doing stuff like that? Sometimes we had chase boats. So for along the shore. Yeah. But I did a lot of offshore racing. So I was, like, way out there and had to be this, like, self-sustained unit. And it's the same thing on a motorcycle. It's, like, now I'm way the hell out there and I'm a self-sustained unit. Oh. And in a lot of ways, actually, filming motorcycles is easier because I can 
haul ass up ahead of everybody, set up my camera and get shots. And now with drones and all that stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it's not that bad, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I feel like my experience with sailing actually kind of really massaged me into this role of being mm-hmm. able to do this stuff. What else have you done? As far as filming? Yeah. Um, documentaries, commercials. What uh, kind of documentaries? What are you documenting? I did, I did uh, one on the World Strongman. You know, the, the strongman competition? Yeah. yeah. Like a, the, on a guy or the, the competition? It was, it was a combination. It was actually like uh, a few of the strongmen. So we followed like Eddie Hall. I don't know if you know who that is. Don't talk to me like I know who they Okay, yeah. Are. <laughs> I didn't know who they were either. You know what I mean? That's the cool thing about filmmaking, man. You have a VIP pass to life. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, there's just like here I was at the Arnold Classics filming Arnold, interviewing Arnold, you know, and like, but we're on, we're behind the stage. We're getting to see all these like, crazy muscle head dudes just like laid out on the floor like struggling to breathe because they haven't eaten for two days because they're trying to lean out you know like crazy like the stuff you get to see as a filmmaker is just like whoa yeah you know like yeah i mean one of one of my friends who's a great photographer he like he was we were talking about like how special his position is and now he's got to know what to showcase you know he can't always have the camera out you know like when you're backstage hanging out with the band, you know, you can't take pictures of everything. And if you do, you can't showcase them. Sure. You know, you also got to be cool to a point where they enjoy having you back there. Right. You know, like there's a, you know, there's a fine balance knowing what to showcase, what to highlight, when to have the camera out. Well, and then the other side to it is like, I love riding. I love doing what we're doing. And so like just being able to experience what we're doing instead of hustling my ass off to try to go get a shot mm-hmm. you know and like i'm always the last now when you're hustling your ass off you're riding a motorcycle yeah right exactly but i and i want to enjoy that process i want to be able to actually like be out there and be present mm-hmm. so actually i feel like sometimes i'm really guilty of just being like i don't even want to take the camera out when yeah. i should be you know like because i'm just enjoying myself and i mean that's the nice thing about the gopros it's like it's always there it's easy to kind of access yeah and actually a big when i met justin one of the first things that we did was we went out, we had a campfire, and we were sitting around it doing the usual thing you do around campfires, and he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, man, I'd love to get good enough on one of these bikes to be able to leapfrog over, like, groups of people riding and take photos and video. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the time, dude, I was, I sucked. I was really bad off-road. And, um, but over the next few months, like, by, that was, I think, in April, and by Sturgis that year, uh, I was I went out and photographed and filmed the Sturgis HD Pan America owner's ride. You know, I had gotten at least decent enough to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, and now, like, I feel like I've positioned myself to a point where it's like I'm actually really, I'm a good rider and can do that, you know, in much more professional capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of been my role with Harley now is, like, getting to go out and meet fellow Pan America owners and then photograph them, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's tough to, like, portray the exact uh, emotions and things that get triggered while you're riding a bike through sure. the elements, you know? Yeah. I've seen very few uh, films that do a good job at capturing that. I mean, it's just tough, you know? And maybe and that maybe it's just my experience, you know? Like, what I see I just think through my eyes and what I'm experiencing. Like, I would love to share that. Sure. But I it's think like, it's, it's also, it's like, this is rugged and tough, dude, so... Think about it, like there's a huge world of amazing filmmakers and storytellers out there, but how many of them are on bikes? 
you know what I mean, and understand the culture. And, under, and like, so there's a lot of people who are, you know, who are into filmmaking, but they're not exactly filmmakers. You know, they're not exactly storytellers. So the cool thing about it is it's a, it's a wild west, man. You have like a lot of opportunity to come into this and be one of the best mm -hmm. at that and take that. But I, I hear what you're saying. It's hard to convey that. You it know, is, like yeah. there's so many times I like get to some, like even on the Arizona BDR, we, we got over to the edge of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, I, I just, how do you, you can't take a picture of that. No. Like you kind of, I threw the drone up, tried to shoot shots like that. I was shooting through my professional camera, and it's like, I don't, like, yeah, words and photos and video just it don't do it justice, man. you know? It doesn't. Yeah. It's a tough one. For sure. Yeah, I, uh, the, I have so much GoPro footage, um, and, I, and some of it's actually really good. I'm sure. But it's like, you know, the, what, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't even know what to do with it, you know? Like, making shorts, doing reels is pretty easy, but it's like, it still just doesn't get the point across. Or doesn't, you know, it's just hard to, like, convey. I see that. Sure. And I'm sure a lot of people would see some of the footage I got and they're like, oh, that's awesome. But yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe if you weren't there, if yeah, you weren't right. sitting on the motorcycle a, when I rode through that that's shit. A lot, of, a lot of people, though, man. If you look at all the YouTube channels, a lot of the YouTube channels, it's just people, like, Oh, some of these videos that are like up. 40 minutes long and it's just people riding you yeah. know like they're not there isn't even necessarily any story in there but they're getting hundreds of thousands of views and yeah i think part of that is because either they're never going to get on a bike or you know they're just vicariously trying to live have you seen that uh movie else. the bike riders that's coming out no uh, like have you seen the previews or anything so, no called bike riders yeah it's about this guy named jeff nichols wrote a screenplay to a book based on a the characters and a book by Danny Lyons. You know this book, right? Nope. Bike Riders? Uh-uh. It's like a, he shot it in like the early 60s. He was part of like, he was like an outlaw club member. Sure. Back in Cincinnati when he yeah. was going to school in Chicago or, you know, around that area. Anyways, he took a bunch of like, I know you've seen the photo where there's a guy like looking over his shoulder as he's going over a bridge and you see his outlaw cut. He's on an old panhead. Anyways, this guy, Jeff Nichols, wrote a screenplay. They just filmed this movie. It was supposed to be released December 1st. It's got Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Jody Comer, Mike Shannon. I mean, it's a big production. And I've been looking at uh, some of the interviews that he's given at some of the screenings. And one of the best ones I found, he's sitting on, like in a panel with this. It's Jeff Nichols, the lady who does like the makeup and the scene, you know, designs the scenes or designs the, you know, the backgrounds or whatever, and then the people that are in charge of the music and the sound. One girl ran the microphones, you know? And I think they also used some of my buddy Todd's um, stuff he recorded of old bikes. But then the guy that did the music, they're talking about, like, how they used all these really well-known songs, and they used some new technology and separated the drums from the bass and the background vocals. And they used that instead of, like, making a composition to, like, you know, help you hear or feel the, the emotions change. They used those songs that everybody's familiar with because they wanted to communicate. Like, you know, they were talking about when they were first standing around 60 pre-69 big twin Harley Davidsons all running at once. Like, you fucking feel that shit, you know? Like... And they're like, if we could somehow, you know, relate or, you know, showcase this feeling of 
riding an old bike with a group of people through the big screen and into the viewer's seat, then, you know, that'd be amazing. I'm like, yeah, that would be a fucking amazing. But I'm like, even with all y'all's technology, right. there's, you know, it's going to be so tough. But I can, I mean, using like familiar music and like drawing on some of those emotions that you already have tied to, you know, sounds and noises and songs sure. is... It'll be, I'm looking forward to it. Like, yeah. it's going to be, it looks like it was really well done. My friend, Jeff Nichols, was the stunt coordinator and, you know, helped curate all the bikes and kept them all running. That's and cool. It's going to be rad to see something like, you know, with that much backing, you know, they spent fucking $40 million or some shit. You know? I mean, <laughs> so a big key to success is something like that. And, you know, this is where a lot of people who are in our industry, it's like they have their GoPro. They have their phones. And the big difference between me, I feel like, and what we do, uh, you know, is that we, we go into this usually with intention. So we're not just taking our GoPro out and shooting the whole time. Yeah. I, I like joke around and call that garbage collection, mm -hmm. right? Because like, all you're doing is just shooting. So if you go into something and you have somewhat of a plan or outline, like that's, that's, the, that's a big part of movie making, right? That's oh, yes. filmmaking. Yeah, it's like pre-production. Yeah, like... Yeah. Even in a documentary world, it's like even a, like a BDR, for example. It's like there are knowns. We literally have the Butler map that's going to show us exactly where we're going to go. We're probably going to have some stops in that that we're going to do for sure, right? So it's like we have these knowns, and you can start building a story off of that. And in documentary filmmaking, obviously, it's like you just never know. Like I didn't know that the first day that we went on our BDR, we're going to have some guy break his leg, you know. But when that happened... I mean, immediately, the first thing I did is I popped on the camera, you know? <laughs> I asked him. In all fairness, I was like, hey, is this okay, dude? But, you know, it's like, that's, of course. That's, what, that's what documentary filmmaking is. It's like, it's just knowing when to roll the camera, yeah. you know, and making sure you're, you're staying on a storyline and building off of it. So it's like, okay, like in a real documentary, it's like something happens. And what a lot of people don't do like vloggers or whatever they just it's like it's all in the moment and you see something that happened but there's never any follow-up there's never any like and then what happened you know what i mean like we always need a beginning middle and well, an that's end. like me like the stories i post where it's just like a couple of seconds of someplace rad right motorcycles and that's that's it well the advantage you have dude is that you're doing such cool wild stuff that the rest of even me man like i'm I've been following your journey for a while, and it's like you're in these places where it's like, I want to go there, and I want to see what it looks like, and especially from your perspective. Like, you have an interesting perspective, and that's where I feel like the GoPro stuff and the stories and Instagram and all that, that's where it has a place because it's like I'm just getting a little tease of your what's going on. You don't have to tell a story. You know, like what the, what's the saying about a photograph? It tells, you know, a thousand words or whatever in one image. and. Well, so that's one thing I have switched to, like, just on this last trip, where normally, like, when I was with Motorcycle Sherpa riding Nepal, normally I would take a bunch of just videos, you know, just vertical videos of all the sick terrain, the riding, and now this last trip, I did way less of that and more just taking photos, because it's easier to digest to, like, just take a snap one frame and let somebody, like, hold the pause button and, like, Look at that cliff we're riding underneath and that giant river down below. Like yeah. it gives, it just gives more time to like digest, you know, instead of like trying to figure out what my shaky video is trying to portray. It's like just one snap. 
Sure. So I've kind of put more focus on taking photos instead of, you know, making those videos. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know if it's going to, you know, if it's, it's all about just invoking the test, same things testing I Testing kind of your audience, you know? Like, that's the cool thing about doing YouTube. So Instagram, Facebook, I don't know about TikTok as much, but, and then YouTube, there's algorithms that boost all your content, right? Yeah. And the thing about face or YouTube is that there's a science to it. Like t- TikTok and to all of them. Well, kind of like Instagram, dude. It's like today it could all it could well, be it's about, ever changing. But there right, is a it's ever changing. Yeah. But also, it's not only ever changing, but it's not something we can analyze and really use every week. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Whereas YouTube is very much like if you follow this formula, yeah. you will be successful. And the other thing is, from a filmmaking standpoint, is that you actually get to look at the analytics on the behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. So I can see how long people are watching my videos, when they drop off, when they rewind. That's super important because when they rewind, I know like my viewers like this. You know, like I did the sailing show mm-hmm. and we noticed that whenever we opened a cupboard in the boat, people would rewind to that. They wanted to see what was in the cupboards. So in the next episode, we're like, well, let's just add more cupboards. Like in the cupboards up yeah, there? Like, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, opening okay. it up. Like, people, well, I'm sure people are like, is it all strapped down? Is it all Some, just fucking in disarray? Yeah, or what are they boat? storing in there? Like, whatever, right? So it was interesting. Like, and then, the, 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 again, this was like we had a pulse on, on our mm-hmm. audience. We got to see, like, well, this is what they like, so let's just do more of it. Yeah. You know, like, and that's the thing. Like, even Instagram, it's like you got to see, like, a Maggie, for example, I've seen f- her content. Like, some of her best content that, d- or does the best, at least, is, like, just a beautiful sunset shot of her riding to some country song you know and it flies off the handle and that's like her thing like so you gotta just find your thing i guess you i'm know? doing my thing i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to figure out my thing in all this you know oh, i got shit. more questions for you actually well uh i want to i want to go back even further because yeah. one thing you know you we reached out over the internet a couple years ago i yeah. guess i don't know <laughs> 21 22 i feel i feel like i have to say this to the audience real quick is that i remember one day you just out of the blue, message me on Instagram. You're like, hey, dude, come down to South America. Meet me down here. And I was like, uh. I said that? Yeah. And I was like, I mean, first of all, I was like, hell yeah. You know, but I, at the time, dude, I was so busy and I couldn't just drop everything and go down there. But I was like, <laughs> and then I was like, this guy's wild. Like, I would love to just ha- haul ass and meet you down there, oh, you, you know? fucking should have. Yeah, it would have been cool. Oh, we'll ha- we got one. We got an adventure somewhere dude, in the future, that dude. fucking place was incredible. Fucking incredible, like, God. Yeah, I was thinking about that today, how I have a bunch of stuff when Brian Helm came down that I've been holding on to for something, and I was like, man, I need to revisit some of that shit. I got, we got this one video or photo, probably both, and I'm like riding over a, a bridge made out of 55-gallon drums, like, with... Some of it's got a railing, some of it doesn't. It's only wide enough for one bike unless you're an Ecuadorian. And then there's, dude, so there's a picture of me like, like straddling my bike on the edge. And there's a guy on like a 250 with his groceries hanging off the handlebars. And I'm just like trying not to fall in this fucking water. Oh my gosh. What a trip, dude. That sounds fun. Uh, Where was I going with all this? Oh yeah, and you made a post a few weeks ago about... Fucking hanging out on a sailboat, like living on a sailboat for a while when you were a kid. Tell me about this. Uh, okay, so this is kind of a wild story, but yeah, 
I, guess, I picked up that. Yeah, right. So I mean, we've all. I'm sure if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. My dad like is not that guy going. at all, but I feel like I'm the kid of one of those stories. You know what I okay. mean? Like that's that's sort of like where I got my start. And uh, as in like in New York on Wall Street. So my dad was a Wall Street guy. Uh, what happened is controversial, right? Um, basically, in short, he had a former partner, and that guy was up to no good. And the government apparently came to my dad and were like, "We need, we want to test, we want to put this guy away." And we want you to testify against him. And my dad's like super straight edge and like almost a rule follower. Well, that's not like the Wolf fault. of Wall Street at no, all. No, no, no. <laughs> so, but hear this out. So okay, then he ends okay. up like, he, they, he's like, you know, I don't work with this guy anymore and I'm not going to testify against him. Like, I don't have anything, I didn't have anything to do with it. He's doing now and whatever. And they're like, if you don't, if you don't do this, we're going to take you down with him. And so he tried to hire a lawyer. Well, it turns out you can't really fight the government. You know what I mean? Like, no, unfortunately, not when they want something. They so this is one it. version of the story. Who knows what really happened? But yeah. you know, I've heard this actually through some of his friends and him and all that. And yeah, anyway, he tried to fight the government, and they apparently retroactivated some of the laws because back in the seventies, dude, the Wall Street was the Wild West. Yeah, there were no rules, and what they were doing was smart. They were taking money and putting it overseas into tax shelters, they call them, mm -hmm. and, you know, saving a ton of money from having to pay the IRS. Well, that ton of money ended up being, like, $500 million today. Uh, so my dad owes the IRS, like, $500 million, half a billion dollars. Um, and uh, anyway, then what ended up happening is he got in trouble, and they convicted him, and he got sentenced to go to a minimum security prison. And he would have probably done, like, three years or something like that, but... My mom was young, rambunctious, and she was a model, beautiful woman. And then she just kind of was wilding out when he was in prison, and he lost it. He was, he just couldn't handle it, couldn't deal with that. She wasn't treating the kids all that well. You being the so, kids? Yeah, my brother and sister and I. And then um, one day, like, my mom's like, we're moving to Colorado. We were living in actually Taos, New Mexico, right where we were. Nice. And... Um, uh, anyway, she's like, we're moving to Colorado to be closer to your dad. So I was like, okay, because that's where his minimum security was. And meanwhile, she's like burning all the bills. All our shit's getting packed up into like a big container. Like our, our you know, we had a Suburban, like all this stuff, right? And like. How old were you? I was six. Okay. So then we like get in a minivan. And actually the night before we get in the minivan, she takes me to Walmart. And she's putting on like a Uma Therma. Uma Thurman, wig? like Pulp Fiction wig, and she's got like little glasses, and she's like, do I look like your mom? And I was like, no, you know, like I don't know what to say, right? And then, <laughs> so we get in the minivan, she packs all the windows around the minivan so you can't see out of it, and then she's got her Uma Thurman wig on, and uh, we drive up to Colorado at the, like at, late at night, and we get to a McDonald's at like four in the morning. And we're just waiting there. And I'm looking out the window, like, wanting some cheeseburgers, right? Yeah. And then uh, all of a sudden the door opens and my dad walks in. And, I mean, I knew what was going on. I knew he was in prison. You know, he got taken away from us. Like, we were visiting him at so the prison. So he fucking skipped so out? he walked off the minimum security prison. Because they're not, it's not like a federal yeah. maximum security where you're locked up all day. Like, you go, when they do roll call or whatever, you just have to be there. You know, like, it's, you can't I didn't leave. realize there was that minimum of a... Yeah, you can't leave the facility. Like, you're not allowed to leave the grounds, not but to go you're, see your you're sort McDonald's. of accountable. 
yeah, definitely yeah. not, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, opens up the door and I like, you know, I, first thing I said at six years old is we're going to get caught. You know? <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, and then I gave my dad a hug and, you know. <laughs> we're going to get caught. That was the first thing I said. And then uh, we got, we, we, we drove out from Colorado to San Diego and we got on our sailboat. And then for the next three years, we lived as fugitives on a sailboat sailing across the South Pacific. Wow. Yeah. That's like one of my retirement plans. Sail across the Pacific? No, just get a boat and... That's our retirement plan. Go to plan. the Caribbean and yeah. fucking wherever, you know? For sure. It's beautiful out there. So for three years, you guys lived on a boat. Yeah. Did they just like... Did your dad just ever talk about what's going on? Or he was just like, forget like that. Like, we're I mean, just we're going just, forward. We're just pretending like we're living on a boat. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, it was definitely... I loved it. You know, as yeah. a little kid, it was awesome. It was like, you know, our definition. How big was the boat? 55 feet. Oh, plenty. Yeah, plenty, exactly. It was, but it was like a race boat. So it was, it wasn't really a race designed. Boat? Yeah, it wasn't really designed to, so <laughs> to was be like, fishing off of. And We did, but it I wasn't know. ideal. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, but the great thing is we got where we were going fast always, you know, like we were, there were times where we, like we sailed out from Mexico to the Marquesas. And usually that's a long trip. It's like three weeks, four weeks on a cruiser boat. And we did it in 14 days. And wow. there was a boat that raced out there with a professional crew and made it in like 11. And we still kicked their ass, you know? I mean, comparatively. Like, yeah, we didn't yeah. kick their with ass. The they family. still beat us. But yeah, yeah, with a family, right? <laughs> of fugitives. <laughs> and we got busted. Oh Ultimately, gosh. we ended yeah, up getting... How did that come to an end? Yeah, so sailed for a while. And, and actually, real quick, I just want to say, I think... Something that's interesting and always has been this thing that I've grappled with is like our definition of freedom. You know, like we're America is a very free country. You know, I was a veteran. I don't know if you know that, but I served for five years. Um, you know, defending our freedom, and but that definition of freedom, dude. Like, I think the only other place that I've found that type of freedom is on a motorcycle. You know, and, and like being on a boat. The only other type of freedom compared to being on a boat? Compared to being yeah. on a boat, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, is, is riding a motorcycle, man. And mm -hmm. like, uh, and just being out at sea and it's like, you can come and go as you please. And when you get to some new island, it's, it's cool because you're just, you have this new beautiful place to explore. And, you know, it's like here in the U.S., dude, there's so many people who are a slave to their job. You know, they're, they're a slave to the money that we need to earn. And out there, that all changes quite a bit, you know? Like, you really are kind of also surviving somewhat off the land. I mean, granted, my dad had, uh, you know, money stashed away in some Swiss bank, and so yeah, this yeah. was fully funded for the whole trip. He didn't have to worry about money. It wasn't, we weren't doing a YouTube channel or something to, you know, be able to pay for this whole thing. It was, uh, but it, anyway, that, that freedom was just, that was something that when I came back finally to the U.S., I had a hard time kind of fitting in. Cause so did you guys have to wear, like, disguises when you were out? No, not at all. Places? Dude, the South Pacific's so third world. Even, like, French Polynesia back then, it was, like, all the going to the passport agency, you know, going into customs and all that, it was all paperwork. You know, we yeah. didn't – I'm sure nowadays it would be way harder. Yeah. You know, like, we'd ha we would have had to have yeah, fake when passports. when was this, like, 90s? 90s, yeah. yeah. We would have had to have fake passports. And actually where we got busted was New Zealand because it was the first – first world country really had been to for the last three years and I remember when the customs agents came on the boat it was weird like they had a bunch of them and 
they you could tell something was up because what happened is our our passports were flagged. Yeah. You know, and then they busted my dad. So you were using your real passports? Yeah. I mean, we didn't. Oh, my dad was not like some outlaw. You know what I mean? Like he he really was a pretty. He's a straight edge dude. Wow. You know, like he he didn't. I mean, in some ways, obviously, he broke the law. You can't just walk away from a prison, you know? <laughs> you can't walk away from the government yeah. of yeah. America. I mean, his punishment for that afterwards, when he got extradited back to the U.S., was that he had to be in a maximum security prison. Wow. And that sucks. Those suck. Yeah. You know, like, they're... What about you guys? They send you back? No, we were kind of on our own. Like, we ended up going from... I mean, it's a long story. When we got to New Zealand, like, everything that happened after that, he actually kind of escaped again, and anyway, it's... What? <laughs> From yeah. New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. Before it's... they got him back here? Yeah, yeah. Of but... course they put him in maximum security oh, yeah. at that no, point. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I know, he's a slippery <laughs> guy, dude. Um, anyway. Oh, my god. <laughs> but we ended up, like, living in Switzerland and France for a little while, and then I came back and actually lived in the States by myself for when a while. When did you come back to the States? Ten. What, 10 years old? So at 10 years old, I flew across the Atlantic by myself. Who did you come I, stay with? Like, Family? godparents and friends of my dad. And then I went to boarding school for a while, which was cool, actually. I lived yeah. on a farm. It was like a boarding school to farm on it. So that was great. Where was that at? Upstate New York, Lake Placid. Oh, yeah, they got those up there. Yeah, right? For sure. Yeah. It was good. Wow. I feel like a lot of my work ethic came from working on that farm, dude. I had to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and negative 15 degrees and go take care of Clydesdales and llamas and goats, sheep, pigs, It's crazy. Chickens. Animals don't take days off. I know, right? Like it doesn't and they have, need you. They don't have snow days. They don't have snow days. They don't care if it's negative 15 no, degrees they out. They fucking need water. It also turns food. out the, the warmest place in a, a farm is the where the, 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 I mean, where the, the animals are at. The manure. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the manure pile, that's the best place to be, man. It's like steamy hot. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So when did you start taking photographs? When did that develop? Uh, when I was in the military, I was a helicopter mechanic. Uh, but I just, I guess, I, like, I look back on photos. You were a helicopter mechanic. Yeah, that helicopter comes mechanic. as a big surprise to I me. I know, right? I don't know why. I haven't spent a lot of time with you, but I, I didn't see that, that one coming. But I'm nerdy. You see, like, I got all these cameras like, and stuff. Look at your finger now. It's yeah, clean. Because I'm a right? camera operator now. <laughs> I got smart, dude. Oh, dude, most of the helicopter mechanics I know are fucking wild people. I mean, uh, we, had a, we had good times, dude. Yeah, okay. It was fun. Military So was while you were doing that, you decided to... I know, I just, I, like, when I look back on pictures of me as a little kid, I always, like, would grab a camera and take pictures. Like, I just had this okay, weird so that was affection towards the camera. Well, I'm sure, like, at that age, being exposed to some fucking beautiful places yeah, right. where you're like, whoa. You yeah, know, sure. like, what, this thing takes a photo? Yeah, right, like, capture we should, this. We should take a photo right now, totally. where I'm sure that your mom and dad were like, we're not, there's no need for photographs. Like, yeah, right. We're, 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 we're outlaws. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I can imagine Fugitives. that you would take on some of that responsibility of just like wanting I, to capture some of that stuff that you were Definitely an attraction. I've definitely always been kind of artsy, you know, and like, and then in the military, like I just, I bought a camera and I started taking tons of pictures and I started taking videos. And actually in high school, I got like a video camera and I was always that weird kid with the video camera, you know what I mean? And then... Um, when I got out of the military, like it, it was just this passion and it, I would make these like silly little videos of my friends, like recap our trips and so this is like two thousands now. When did you graduate high school? I got out of 2004 and then I got, I joined the military in 2004, got out. In so right about then, I mean like 
the video editing technology was totally being changed. very. It was well, it was it was, it was uh, accessible accessible for yeah. kids. I mean, I was taking a video technology. Fuck, I designed one right course like at yeah. my high school. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was just starting to come into where it was, like you didn't have to be in Hollywood to make no, films. No, fucking Vegas video was yeah right. Or could get it. And you could do almost anything with totally. that shit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I got out one day, like I had a weird when I got out of the military, I was just like kind of playing around and finally sleeping in till noon, and you know like and then playing started, around. What do you mean, like going out and boozing it up? Oh man. I was a party boy for sure, and, and I got I got into modeling actually randomly. Where where at when you got out? Where did you go? San Diego. Oh yeah. And I got into modeling out there, and I was like, then I started like going to these shoots, and people were like, dude, you should like you should be in movies and stuff. And I was like, oh okay, you know. And I started going down the acting route, and then at some point, some dude came up to me in a coffee shop, and he's like, are you a are you an actor? And I was like, well, yes, I am. You know, and I'd done like a music video. I hadn't done anything, right? And he's like, you know, one of the best ways to work in front of the camera is to work behind it. And I was like, huh, I like doing that. I didn't even think I could make money doing that, you know? And I used my GI Bill to go to a media arts school. Oh, wow. And that's where I learned everything that I've learned, you know? And then in the process, the nice thing about the 9 11 GI Bill is that you get a stipend plus they pay for all college so every month i got like 2200 bucks a month Mm -hmm. so i was able to survive you know and with that time i just like went hardcore you know like i i hired some dude to teach me how to do analog photography and you know like just dove full in on it every project i had at school we were supposed to do a powerpoint presentation and i was like can i just do videos instead and the school that i was going to was cool about it. They were like, "Yeah, sure. You want instead of a PowerPoint, you want to do a video?" Yeah. And I was like, "Great," because I had to do we're doing graphic PowerPoint because it's easier for everybody. But yeah, right. Exactly. I made it harder myself. Be great. But dude, by the time I got done with that degree, I was pretty proficient at making videos already. You yeah. know? So that was the benefit of doing instead of PowerPoints. And dude, essentially, like a lot of the videos that I do for corporate and all that, it's a PowerPoint on steroids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We just took what you had and made it way more visual. Well, I mean. What a PowerPoint is, is you're communicating some kind of thought. You right, know? Exactly. Sometimes, And you're using analytics or, you're, you know, there's all these different things you can use. And when you're telling a story, you're, that's a, it's the same thing. You've just got more tools. Sure. So that makes sure. sense. And when did you finish that? Uh, my degree? Yeah. 2012? I think it was 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what, the, the iPhone came out in, like, 2008, nine. Something like that, yeah. It's and then that's when it's like, you know, so I'm just saying that you've seen it kind of like. The progression. Yeah, seeing yeah, how it's also like. Also, DSLRs. Everybody is now a fucking. I came in right after they started using DSLRs to make movies. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that was when they were Where just they like. they full digital. Full digital. That was another thing. Everything in Hollywood was switching from film to digital, you know? Yeah. Like, so I was like right there at that kind of boom. You know, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were just talking about how, like, some of these older people in established positions, they don't, they're not willing to try new things, and, you know, they're set in their ways, and they don't like change. And I feel like our generation, we were, like, around as the cell phone and the internet came out. Sure. So, like, things have just been, we're just kind of used to things changing. You yeah, know? and like we embrace it quickly, I feel like. I think that that's one real benefit of, like, having that at our youth when we were developing as sure. humans was, like, that change just happening all the time. Yeah, we're like, we had to jump You know, on if it. you got established in the workforce before the internet came out, 
when the internet comes out and you never needed that as a tool or were never never used it, then you don't fully grasp what it can do and how things are going to change because of it. 38? Oh, we're the same age. Yeah. All right, cool. Huh. Yeah, I graduated in 03. All right. So, I'm, I mean, I'm a year, I guess a year younger. I turned 38 in January. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we're about the same age. That's yeah. wild. Huh. And you grew up in Texas, right? Right here. I got, dude, I got some Danger Dan questions. Oh, my God. I've heard so many rumors about you, but They're I don't even... all rumors. I don't even know what you really... Like, I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know, like... I mean, obviously, you're funding these adventures somehow... You know, like, so what's the backstory to that? I just rob people along the way. <laughs> no, I mean, I started the podcast years ago when I was, like, I was flipping houses at the time. I had quit playing music and needed, like, another outlet to do something. So I started the podcast uh, just to, like, originally the podcast was just to talk to people that had figured out how to live outside of the 8 to 5. You know, like, and I knew a bunch of creative people that were interested. You know, you listen to Joe Rogan enough, tell his friends, you should start a podcast. You should, I was like, essentially, he was telling me that, so I did. And uh, But I love motorcycles, so it just kind of like went down that, that path. Uh, and at the time, I was like getting into the vintage chopper culture at that point. Like I had a twin cam, and it sold it and got a shovel head and was just like, immersing myself in all these new ideas that I'd never seen before that had been around for a long time. They were just all new to me. And they were also, you know, going through a resurgence because of like born free or mama tried like these events that were capturing this new younger, uh, culture and breed of motorcycle riders. Cause before I got my chopper, I rode my twin cam, you know, rode it across the country, but I did it by myself. The only guys I rode with are like old dudes from back home. We had a, we had a club we called the Water Street Winos, where our blood alcohol content was always higher than miles ridden, you know, and it was, but it was just like, you know, friends that I'm, I'm, I'm still friends with them to this day, but they, they don't go to a fence, you know, they don't, you know, that, those are the only people I rode with until I like found this, this new younger culture. And so the podcast just went down that road. And when it got to it, when I thought there was enough people listening where somebody might want to advertise, I reached out to some companies and they're like, what's a podcast? And I'm like, oh, I don't even have, I, you know, I'm not good at selling myself, right? Not good at like, you know, because there is a lot of benefit in working with a podcast because of this younger generation and like getting information out there. I thought that it would be valuable to, you know, some of these companies that are, you know, the magazines are going away. People are just trying to figure out how to communicate with the younger audience. Uh, but still, people that were making decisions and had a budget did not know what a podcast. Joe Rogan hadn't made a multi-million dollar deal podcast. with fucking Spotify at that right. point. No, he'd been doing the podcast, but you know but he, he wasn't making a multi-million do dollar he, crazy yeah, he didn't things. Make yeah. the hundred thousand dollar deal with Spotify until yeah. years later. So I started up a t-shirt company that would, you know, my local motorcycle shop, Brown Cycles, super rad guys. Uh, David Brown is, you know, he's been in the business with his. He started with his dad and his brother 50 years ago. His dad started it 50 years ago, and he kept it going. And he wanted to support the podcast. And I'm like, man, I appreciate it, but, like, you sponsoring the podcast that goes out around the world. You know, I got people in the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, all over America. Like, you're taking business from Dallas, Texas. You know, like, it, I, I wouldn't be doing you justice. 
And he was like, well, I still want to support what you're doing, you know. And uh, my sister works for a company called the Dive Bar T-Shirt Company. And he just features a dive bar every month and does a new T-shirt. And I was like, well, fuck, why don't I do that with motorcycle shops? So I featured Brown Cycles as the first shop and, you know, sent out 100-plus T-shirts and then gave him a box of free T-shirts. And he was like, Dan, I wanted to give you money, and you just gave me a box of T-shirts. And I'm like, I know, isn't that cool? So that's the beginning of MC Shop Tees, and now I'm going on, I think this is my fifth year. I've done six, this will be, what's we're in November. So I just sent out the 59th T-shirt, fixing to send out the 60th T-shirt, 60 months in a row. That's cool. Doing a new shirt featuring a different shop from around the country. And sometimes outside the country, you yeah. know. And, you know, one of them I featured was a surf shop. Went to this place in Costa Rica, and everybody there rode their motorcycle to the surf shop where they were building surfboards. And I was like, it's a motorcycle shop. It's close enough for me, you know. Uh, so, you know, I just feature shops that are that are rad, that are doing rad things, keeping people on the road. And that's like one of the most important things as somebody who rides and the industry that, you know, that makes money off of motorcycles. Like we need people to keep other people on the road. Sure. And those dudes fucking work their dick into the dirt. Yeah. And they don't ride as, you know, they don't get to really experience the things that drove them to want to do that to begin with. Yeah. And, uh, they lack that freedom. So MC Shop Tees is like giving me a way to like give back to all these small shops that's and cool. spread the word worldwide. So that's what I do. Do you do you work? Do you do any wrenching for work or? Yeah, I keep my motorcycles. You on the keep road. your motorcycles on the road. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a full time job itself. I'm sure. I well, mean, the way you ride, dude. I you know, and I've met a bunch of people that make that possible along the way. You know, Lowbrack Customs has been a big supporter. Uh, you know, just helping me with all my wear and tear items on my chopper, from you know the Bates Baja tires to chains to oil the pan am oils i mean they're fucking great my guy boston billy out of metairie he's a fucking badass motor builder and it took me a while to find somebody that can build an old motor because there's a lot of people that can build an old motor but to build an old motor that i can run at fucking eight thousand rpms for eight hours a day that was tougher sure you know so finding him has been a godsend you know like my 59, he's rebuilt it. Oh, I think he's done the complete motor three times now. One time he did it. Two, when was it? That was three years ago? Yeah, three years ago. Built it. Fucking crank pin up. I bring it home. I put it in my bike. Warm it up. Go to the gas station. Do some break-in miles. Go to my buddy's house. Do a burnout in the driveway for a guy who had a camera there. And the next morning, I go up there to find out I didn't have any oil in it. Ran it for maybe 45 minutes. No fucking oil. I didn't even know what to... I didn't even want to call and tell him, you know? Yeah. But I didn't want it to, like, fall apart and people think that it was his fault. So I'm like, I gotta call him. You know, I gotta yeah. be honest. So I call him up. like, dude, I fucking ran it without oil. He's like, you fucking idiot. And his heavy Boston accent. Mm -hmm. And he's like, <clears throat> does it make any noise? I'm like... Not really. He's like, well, put oil in it. So I fucking added oil and rode it to Daytona. 
No kidding. That I wrote for two years without a problem. So I got a guy. That's, yeah, that's the bottom man. line of that story. He's, he's fucking good. That's awesome. Uh, and it takes people like that to ride those old bikes. I sure. mean, that's you impressive, know, I'm still dude. trying to find like this Pan Am. It's it's been great, but like, you know. Try, I, I need more time, like, for my suspension guy to go through and really dial it in. You know, I've been spoiled. Now, I have a guy named Derek, and he did this suspension on my Sportster. He's done it on my dirt bikes. And it's like, dude, somebody who's really good with suspension. You know, that's, that suspension on the Pan Am is great for, like, a wide audience of people. Sure. But now I got a guy that can, like, dial it in, fine-tune some shit for me, and I would love to have him, you know, get his hands on that shit. What would you like to see in the Pan America moving forward? Like, in, in future versions of this bike? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's been great for me. I would, uh, I mean, what I would like to see for for myself, I don't think is, like, conducive for everybody. Well, you know, what, like what is that, though? I'm curious. Suspension, mainly. Yeah. That's, like, the biggest thing is, like, I know my, you know, fuck, for good suspension, it's probably going to cost another fucking 10 grand, yeah, right. you know, to, like, to really get that shit dialed, yeah. uh, you know, to like race caliber. Uh, other than that, uh, what what would I like to see done? Have you seen Alex Earl's bike with the eight gallon tank? Yeah, it's fucking stupid. You wouldn't do that. Why? It's Why would you want more weight? Yeah, it's a lot of weight. On top of that, for sure. On top of your heavy it looks motorcycle. Cool. It is nice to be able to go far, you know. I know. I know I've that ridden all the way the to the GSA, bottom of South America, and you didn't need. A I didn't need any more than what I had. I had a sure. fucking extra can of gas on the back of my bike. Do you know how many times I used it? Yeah. Never. Never. I mean, I did run out of gas in the middle of Patagonia. Yeah. But that was because I woke up hungover at a motorcycle hotel and just left. <laughs> didn't was, fill it up. Was, it was fucking, user error again. Yeah, fucking user error, big time. Yeah, I found that the tank is perfect. That's yeah, on it's there, plenty for sure. And it I is mean, nice. I'm, to, but I'm saying that coming from a 2.4. Yeah, right. You're used to having to stop every five you know, minutes, like, man. We did a, the Devilstone run with a buddy of ours who has a chopper. Yeah. And it was just like you know, every 70 miles, the dude had to stop. It's great. In Wyoming, there are not a lot of gas stations out yeah, there. Yeah, but, but you can do five. You can do it. Yeah, he he did it. I mean, I mean and like. Till when you're his, till his chopper group, broke down. One till of my favorite places, down. one of my favorite things to do is hang out with my buddies at gas stations. At gas stations, you know? like, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Not yeah. terrible. I feel that. I mean, I love the bike, man. What I would you do to it? I feel like I don't have enough experience to really be able to, like, say the things that I'd like to do. But I would love to see, like, a rally edition. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to see them do a bike that they trick it out to be more for like a Dakar rally type thing, you know, like them have Harley go in and do a dope suspension and, you know, just lighten everything. Yeah, there's they can people off that can it. do it better. Those guys are good at manufacturing mass numbers. Right. It's true. You huh? know, like, yeah, but still, like I would love to see like or... somebody do that themselves. That's true. Me Everybody too. who's done like a custom one has been like more street oriented. Sure. Yeah. You know, like even the guys that have built like, Built them out as adventure bikes. They're fucking not really built for adventure. Oh, They're just crazy. built with a bunch of accessories. Accessories all over it. They're not yeah. like, I have yet to see somebody build a real purpose built Sure, one. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's such a good platform to be able to build something on it, you know? Like, that was something I, th I thought was really interesting. Like, the BMW, apparently, like, it's hard to, to build anything on that Yeah, frame. I mean, you're not going to replace the front end. 
you know, you yeah, can right. redo the, the spring in the shock. Yeah. You know, you're not going to put a new tank on it. Sure. I can't wait till people start putting different tanks on. On the Pan America? Yeah. Yeah. I've different seen some fairing. Cool stuff out there. You know, like. The custom street builds again, you know. And it is a great street bike. I mean, it's really fun on the street mm-hmm. and comfortable. But, yeah. Uh, and also, like, I rode a T7 last summer. And, I mean, riding on the road for a 1,000 miles, it was fine. I mean, I can't, you're a chopper dude, so I, like, really have no place to be like, oh, yeah, it wasn't that comfortable. But um, The T7 wasn't that comfortable. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But comparatively to the Pan America, like, it was really not that comfortable. Um, but, dude, that bike was so fun off-road, and I think it would be cool to see Harley come out with, like, a mini version, you know, get into that side of the market you know break into that and have a lighter bike that you know that i would love to have two i'd love to have my pan america for my long adventures and then have my mini pan america to be able to go rip around in my backyard in vegas you know like I, mean, I think for, that's they're opening up that door with that new del mar with the electric one yeah yeah i think i mean that's where i think like have you ridden that a thing? smaller dirt bike that's yeah. where you could use a fucking battery. For sure. You know? like yeah. Oh, I agree. Like that's Have you ridden the... any of the electric bikes? No, fuck no. They're pretty sweet, dude. I rode that Zero One. For what? For ri- ripping around. I mean, listen, <laughs> hold on. Again, dude, I could never... Oh, fuck. At, at this point, I couldn't buy one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just because... It doesn't have a spot in the stable, for sure. When I, when I rode that Zero, it was really fun. It's really... First of all, the power and having, like... You know, there's no clutch. Everything's directly mm-hmm. through your throttle. So just having that direct connection to your wheel is really, it's interesting. It's a fun ride. It's so smooth, you know. But right now, because of the battery technology, it's like, dude, I crushed 75 miles in an hour, <laughs> you know. like, And that's it. That's all that thing has. So, like, until the technology comes around where they can charge them faster or they have bigger longer lasting batteries or whatever you know it's just it's not feasible for guys like us you know like if you're gonna go out and rip around for a couple hours in your backyard like hell yeah it's sweet oh if the i lived dirt in bikes, the city yeah and like if i was in this city right here yeah I it would be have, cool to have electric bike i'd have electric skateboard yeah i I'd have one of those fucking love zipping it around not making any noise yeah. but i feel like as a dirt bike to be able to go out and rip for a few hours and then just plug it into your RV or whatever, like that makes sense. It does, and it's fun. They're, dude, there's so much power. Have you? I rode. I forget what they're called, the Suros or whatever. It's like a, it looks like a little dirt bike. Those things have, you can customize them like crazy. So some of them, like people put these battery packs on it, and it's got like 200 mile range on it, on a little dirt bike, and they're super powerful, super torquey. Mm-hmm. You know, like guys are. And the funny thing is, I filmed some guys on them recently. And what was interesting is, like, they're in parks, like, you know, just regular parks that with playgrounds and all that stuff. Yeah. And they're ripping and doing all these crazy trick, tricks because they're not noisy like a dirt bike. If you yeah. were doing that on a two-stroke, dude, cops would be there in two seconds. You'd be in so much trouble. They're out there all day ripping all these crazy jumps over all the little features in the park mm-hmm. because they're not noisy. So what, what, when you're saying you want a smaller Pan Am, I mean, what do you really want? Just like a, a dirt I want bike? something that I can... Go do like a easily do like a one or two day trip, you know, like a dual sport. I want it to be in that area because a lot of the guys that like the Moscow guys that I've ridden with, it's like they're all dual sport. They're like, yeah, I mean, they do do some ADV bikes, but those big bikes, it's like 
the thing that I've learned with the Pan America in my experience so far is like, first of all, they're super capable. There is a lot you can do with it. I've seen like Justin Kleider, for example, the stuff he does on that bike. I'm like, I don't, I like, it's mind blowing. Right. But, um, there is still a limit, you know what I mean? And also like just some of the single track stuff. And, and the other thing is like, I don't really care about going super fast off road necessarily. Like that's the thing when I'm with the dual sport guys, they're gone. They're doing 50 miles an hour through all this stuff. And I'm back there doing 25 and I'm doing 25 with a big smile on my face because I'm taking in everything, you know what I mean? And I love that and I'll just ride my ride, but I still would like to be able to have something in the garage that I can go rip with my dual sport buddies because there's a lot of dual sport riders, all you know? KTM. KTM and all that. Honda. So, uh, to me, I'd love to see <laughs> I mean, something. I don't think, I think, yeah, I just don't see it being necessary for Harley to do that. Yeah, sure. I just like the Pan American. I love what they've done with that bike. I mean, man. I do too. It's great. Yeah. You know? I'd, I'd be, I'd love to see what they, their version of it, you know, because again, like now that I've been in the ADV space for a while and I've seen, I see what, you know, BMW's done and KTM and all that. And I just think it's so cool that these guys, when they finally came out with an ADV bike, they came out so strong with something like this bike. Mm -hmm. I love the design. Dude, that's one thing. Okay, obviously, aesthetically, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a photographer. It's great. I think all those other bikes are so ugly. They look like a bug that got its head bit off, you know? And the, and the uh, Pan America, like, dude, it's an American machine. Like, if you look at that front fairing, I mean, it's got it's got features on it that are like an old uh, Jeep, you know, like or an old muscle car or an old muscle car. Like it has American heritage built all the way through that thing. Yeah. And again, dude, I was on the military. Like, I take pride in our country. I mean, what other bike, adventure bike, have you seen people custom paint? I mean, none of them don't even have. They don't stickers. Have that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wraps. I'm guilty, but yeah. Well, and actually, I feel like on an adventure bike putting a wrap on isn't the worst idea like taco no, moto is doing not, a not yeah because then you're protecting the bike and and also if you're somebody who's sponsored or whatever you like you can put whatever you want on there you know what i mean and then rip it off and do it again in Fucking six months car shit yeah exactly yeah exactly right <laughs> so i feel like dude i've scratched the shit out of my tank and my front fairing now like it would be nice to have a wrap just to protect the bike you know yeah but I also don't care. I wear those scratches with honor now. That's something that <laughs> I do. You know, like I, it's my battle scars. Like I come to uh, I come uh, to these ADV rallies and I don't yeah. have a pretty Mustang or a pretty uh, Pan America. Like I got it's scratched to hell. People well, come up to me all my, the time and say, "You mine use looks that retarded." Bike. The fucking fog <laughs> lights are I've pointing seen yours, different bro. directions. <laughs> yeah. You can't even pull the dipstick on the left side because the crash at, bar smashed. At, at homecoming, it. dude. Yours is a real Pan America, in my opinion. You know, like I, I don't want to. There's plenty of people out there riding these things on the street, and it is again, it's a great street bike, and I don't hate on that at all. Like I think good. I'm glad you're out there using this bike for that. And actually, now that I, I didn't ride Harley's at all before you know and like then now like having the pan america i've done road glides and so you've you've immersed yourself more into the the culture of people buying pan americas i have not done yeah that okay <clears throat> what kind of people are buying these bikes so i, I want to be honest right now i just seen a bunch of dorks out there when i see them in the real world yeah, i'm like dorky i go up and talk to them and i want to be able to be like Come with me. Yeah, and, right. And I can't. Like, I, I could do that, but then they wouldn't even, like, I haven't seen the, the you know, 
it's it's still been a yeah I don't know tell me what you've experienced. Um, I mean, ADV community is definitely a, a group of people out there who really care about gear, Gore-Tex, Vortex, right? Um, but I mean, it's and then like I do feel like a big thing is like you know somebody who's interested in a Pan America, for example, they go to the dealer and they know everything about the bike already. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 that type of person. They're like, yeah, I knew more about the Pan America than the dealer did when I went and bought the bike. You know, well, that's that's yeah, you're right. Yeah, sure. And then um, I think the other thing is like what I've found and seen is like yeah, sure. Like we are definitely like comparatively to the chopper crowd, like we're dorky, dude. Like we like our, we no, 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 no. I'm asking like, what, like the Who riders are, that you've met on Pan Americas, yeah. are they coming? Do they have a road glide in their garage or do they have dirt bikes in their so, garage? So, okay. I what, asked or this, do, are they leader bike people? Like, sure. What? I asked this question actually on the Facebook. I did a poll the other day on the Facebook group. Okay. The really? group. Yeah. And I was like, how many of you guys already had a Harley in the garage and added this to the garage mm-hmm. because you liked Harley's new bike or whatever? How many of you guys are waiting for an ADV bike made by Harley and bought one? And how many of you guys are new? Can I and, guess? Yeah, go for the it. The second one. A lot of people were waiting for an ADV bike? Yeah, by Harley. That, did, that wanted an ADV bike but didn't want to buy into the BMW world or the KTM world. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost an even spread. Really? Yeah, it was really interesting to get all the feedback on people. I mean, a lot of people commented on that post. Mm-hmm. And it was like... There were a number of people who were just like, yeah, I had Harleys, and they had a BMW, and then they wanted to put a Harley in their garage, a Harley ADV bike. Then there were people who were, you know, just interested in Harley's latest bike, you know, and dude, like, it's impressive, spec-wise, all that, 150 Mm. horsepower. It's the most powerful bike off the line from Harley, Yeah, you know, and like, so, and then I think a lot of people went out and demoed it, and they're like, damn, this thing is really comfortable, and it rips you know yeah. and they bought it and then there's a lot of people like me who are just like well that's cool that's a cool looking bike you know and didn't really know that much about adv because i had several people comment on that post they like i'm totally new to this too i came from sports bikes you know and i saw Har- i thought harley's new bike was cool and which is to me is awesome like i really am like the living example of like how this new bike brought people from compl- like totally out of the Harley space into it and ADV. Well, I think what it, you know, that's just like the fucking brand itself, that bar and shield. Everybody wants a piece. I mean, that's like so strong, you sure. know, like some people just don't see how they fit into it. You know, yeah. they see it from a distance. They want to be a part of it. And yeah, that bike offered a new reason or a way for some people to, you know, be a part of that community. Yeah. But that brand is, I think is, responsible for a lot of that that and dude there is no other brand i think in the world that has the type of community and passion behind it besides harley like what apple i mean sure okay cool we can share photos together and but we're not i feel like no one's like sitting there like wearing apple logoed hats and shirts and you know and like and i'm not walking in i'm not riding up into a gas station and some random stranger coming up to me and telling me their story about how their dad took him on a Harley as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, there, there, it's just like there's that really deep core pride in this brand yeah. and, it, and community that, like, you don't find, like, I never had that with the Hondas or the, you know, the Suzuki's or any of that stuff. It was just nowhere. I mean, maybe some of it in the Jeep community, you know, like, I'm sure there's a little bit of that, but... 
um, it's not like this. And also around the world, you know, like at, now that I've been traveling and even through social media, it's like, it's so cool. India, dude, like they, they I got think, more pride in that brand than, than we do can even imagine. Then we do. It's crazy. Like their hog rides are ridiculous. You know, like it's not the geriatric hog ride. It's like, dude, 70 strong every weekend. They wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go do this hog ride because it's a bazillion degrees out and super humid, you know, and they, they do these long rides. They ride across the entire country as a hog ride. Like it was awesome. And not only that, but like as foreigners coming into it, like when Maggie and I went over there, dude, it was, they, they hosted us like we were, you know, the president of the United States, you know, like it was awesome. They mm -hmm. took such good care of us. They were so stoked to share with us what they're doing and all that stuff. And, you know, it's not, we got in with them as normal people. It's not like we got linked up through Harley to go ride with them or something like that. We got linked up with Harleys because we ride Harleys. You know, it wasn't the brand itself. It wasn't corporate that sent us over there. Yeah. We were legitimately everyday guests. You know, like, sure, do we have social media and all that stuff? And did that play a role in it? Probably a little bit, but not really. Like, it was, I reached out to one of the guys... VJ Thomas, he's one of the guys that did that Himalaya thing two mm -hmm. years ago when he did it. And I was brand new on a Pan America, and I was like, hey, man, like, I think what you guys did is so cool. And one day I want to do something like that. I want to come to India. You know, and then, like, a couple years later, we started talking about doing a trip, and I was like, let's go to India. So I reached out to him, you know, and I kind of stayed in touch a little bit over the years. Yeah. But I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, man, that day's come. I'm coming to India. And he's like, contact, or like, come here. I'm going to take care of you. Nice. You know, and like that was... I mean, that's how the community is all around the world. I mean, South America, I was embraced. I mean, that was one cool thing about doing that trip. You know, like, like the, I'm the first person to ride a motorcycle through South America, but doing it on a Harley, on a new one, you know, like it from America, not take away from uh, Greg and Elsa, but, yeah. you know, it, it meant a lot to those people. Sure. Like it really did. Yeah. You know. Some of the dealers assumed I worked for the motor company, and then, you know, the core, uh, core groups they were just stoked to have me down there and sharing, you know, because they fucking love, they fucking love their Harleys, dude. Yeah. It's fucking they wild. Do, dude. Did you you saw that homecoming? There was like a massive group of Colombians. Yeah. You know, and you from know, all over the world they came. There were, I think there was like 150 Thailand. Colombians that had ridden up from South America That's right, to I the U.S. to come to homecoming. And I, I read an article about it, and they were like, you know, why, why, why did you guys do this? And for them, this was really interesting to me. Harley-Davidson really, truly represents freedom. You know, that's what it means for them in their country. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you own a Pan America, you, or not a Pan America, when you own a Harley, you own a piece of freedom. You know, and, like, that's powerful. Dude. Well, I mean, that's... is. You know, as fucked up as it may seem, a lot of countries look at to look up to America as like an example of what freedom is. Sure. And you know, if you like motorcycles, you know, and you don't really get to experience what real freedom is, like yep. that's about as close as you can get. Totally. To being I and mean, that's Harley. what I was saying. Like I, I yeah. grew up with this really weird sense of freedom. Not weird. I think I actually got a taste of what real freedom yeah, you is, got right? A taste of what yeah. Outlaw freedom. Outlaw is. freedom. I mean, that's, that's why the outlaw life is so uh you know ingrained. Well it's just like something that you know that draws in some of the wildest people because it's sure. like 
true freedom is, you know, living however you want. And sometimes, a lot of times that's outside the law. For sure. Know? And uh, Or away from all of it. You know, again, that's the thing well, about I mean, motorcycles. you were doing both. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, it, but now as an adult, you know, and, and living within the law now, you know, like, um, it's just like the, what the Pan America offers in particular. Like, there's freedom you have when you're on the road. Like a sports bike, you know, there are times when I'm out on a, on a road and I'm just solo and enjoying the space around me. But the freedom that the Pan America opens up, it's like, dude, I'm going to places where nobody's at. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, you know what I mean? And, like, and no, like, it's just, that's great, dude. To get to see our country the way that you can through on a bike, like, an ADV bike, it's, it's awesome, dude. And that is freedom to me. You know, being able to just, like, ride, and it's like, there's dispersed camping everywhere here. I can just pop up a tent wherever I want. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is our land. This is BLM land. And we can, we can. You fought for that shit, That's dude. right. Yeah, exactly. You only had to pop up a tent and you just fucking lay there. Yeah, that's, you well, you cowboy stars. camp a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah, it's amazing just, like, you know, not confining yourself to that fucking tent. You know what's sure. free is just laying out there and going and to staring sleep. Staring at the stars. Yeah. I've done that on a boat a lot. Being exposed to the bears. I'm, I'm, wor- I'm warming up to all that cowboy camping. Because it is, dude, it's, I, I hate packing up the tent and... Yeah, don't unpack it. Yeah, no, for sure. The only time I, not the only time, but, like, the main reason I carry a tent is so that I can, like, at Sturgis or a place where I'm going to stay a couple nights. Yeah. So I can leave some shit in there. There you go. You know, and with your gear, I'm sure that's, like, the biggest thing is, like, having it protected or... It's been an interesting trying to figure out how to manage that. Like, my kit, dude, is just one small cube full of stuff, and I'm still working on it. Like, there's new stuff coming out that I'm, like, that's cool. That could work really God, well for the motorcycle. ever-changing visual market. It's wild. Drones. Dude. You know, like, when I, when I got into filmmaking, drones were just starting to come out. There's two big things that came out right in the beginning when I started. One was the gimbal, mm-hmm. and then the other thing was the drone. And both of those I adopted right away. You know, the really? drone, dude, I had, a, I had a drone that you literally just basically glued a GoPro to. Like, it, it, they didn't work together at all. There was no, it didn't move up and down. Yeah. It was just like, sick, we can get these awesome bird's eye view shots with the shitty GoPro back then, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, I just started playing with it. That Speaking of shitty, you talk shit yeah. about it, it just fucking Got turns mad. off. I think it hurt me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, GoPro film. Let's see if it does it. I don't know. No, it's yeah, a piece fuck shit. it. All right. It hurt us. Um, but, yeah, so... Yeah, you, uh, the you, drones, dude, I just started playing with them every day. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, and then years later, that refined skill, it's like, I get hired to do drone work all the time. And oh, yeah. It's the easiest Can you work. ride and fly? Yeah. Well, can I ride and fly? I could ride on the back and fly. There's no way I can. But what you can do is you can set up the drone and then get on the bike and you, you get like a little, um, like a, what do you call it? Like a, just a, a strap tracker. for the, for the controller and then just ride through the shot. Oh, and no, I've done it. Fly, yeah, there you go. I put it on my tank bag and control it with that. Yeah, you while you're riding? Uh-huh. That's impressive. Yeah, I did fucking Bolivia Death Road. Yeah, no I shit. was looking at some of that footage the, the other day. Yeah, how was the shots? I mean, you know, two Usable. or three seconds at a time, yeah, you, you know. Need. like. I don't know if I would do it riding. Would I, you know, what if I would play with it more? Like, there's, I know there's a setting where you can, like, just make it fly from here to here. Yeah. You know, and, like, all right, do that, and I'll ride through the Waypoints, shot. Waypoints, yeah. yeah. I, uh, that's the next thing I want to play with. But somebody, I talked to this YouTuber who's got like a million followers and he was like, 
Yeah, dude, think about it. The drone's so great because now they fly for 40 minutes. Dude, when I started, it was like 12 minutes. Yeah. You know, and now they fly. Oh, I could have had it follow me down the whole, like the Bolivia death road, you're exposed the whole time. So it can track you. And it, well, the one I had, it wasn't very good at tracking because when it would pick you up on a motorcycle, it would pick you up as though you're walking down. Yeah, and you're going too fast. So, like, early on, when I, before I did like the second update, it would pick me and my motorcycle up as a car, and it would track sure. right. And then I did one fucking update. And then that was it. And now it just sees me as a, a person. person walking, yeah. But yeah, I could have done that whole death road, and a drone yeah. would have followed me. I hope. And I now hope. they make those ones where you have the controller Scott on your Dio. handlebar. But dude, that, that, the thing is, Scadio is getting away from like the general population. They're going enterprise. So now if you want to buy a Scadio, you could buy a Scadio for like 1700 bucks. And that's the one. It's got the big thing the about that. The blue one? Yeah, the big thing about it is it's got a remote that's a tracker. Yeah. So it's able to track you. And now they went enterprise. So if you want to buy one of those drones, it's $5,000. And it comes with... What does enterprise mean? It just means that they're, like, getting away from the general consumer. And they're trying to do agriculture and, like, big business kind of stuff. And so, like, it's integrating into, like, like, uh, doing uh, construction sites and... Like, they're using it for more, like, utility purposes. You know, not cinema, not creators or whatever. So, unfortunately, they've gone away from it. And now they're selling the... They sell the exact same drone for $5,000. And the difference is it has mapping software in it. So, it goes up and it'll map an area for you and give you, like, a 3D image of whatever you're shooting. That's way more money than that. Totally. (laughs) Totally. So, hopefully, DJI, like, I hope that they come out with one of those remotes that will just track you. Because that's a big... When I was up I don't know how they haven't done that. I don't either. It's like... Again, I have a buddy who's uh, a big YouTuber. Do you have an operator's license? Yeah. For sure. I mean, I have to. I do this professionally. Yeah. It's a $40,000 fine for... Yeah, I mean, recently. I mean, mean, that's new within the last three or four years, right? 107's been around for a while now. They had a part 333 in the beginning, which you had to have a literal pilot's license. Yeah, and then it was like that. an extension of that. Yeah. Um, but now they have the 107. And I think it's been around at least since like 2011 or something. They are 2012. No, maybe, maybe not that long. Not that yeah, you, might, you might be right. Maybe like 2015 or something. I would I don't say know. 17 or 18 at the latest. I don't know. I was definitely an outlaw with that yeah, for a while, it, too. Yeah. It wasn't early on. Like, yeah. I mean, when no, you're flying wasn't. around your Phantom. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that thing, you didn't have to have a license for that. Well, you're supposed to, even way back when, but who, how are they ever going to stop you, you know? No, no. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that hasn't taken off more. The drone stuff? Like, yeah, with other applications. In what way? I don't know, like the drone racing looked like it could have gone someplace for a minute, but, I, you know, you never see that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, using it for things, like carrying shit around. Like, I Dude, there was a guy one time at a concert. He had one fly, following him around. He had one of those fucking blue ones, and it was holding his weed. No way. Yeah, you want to buy weed, that fucking, he'd have that thing no, come boy, down. That's and he'd so fucking funny. Pull weed out of the bag that was attached to the that's bottom hilarious. of it. That's hilarious. That's pretty, there you go, Enterprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's wild yeah i think drone technology dude it's like it's like motorcycles or the electric bikes you know like we're still on that cusp of like they're figuring out how to get more capacity in a battery so that it actually can go do more stuff but there's a lot of people doing pretty crazy applications like a big thing in warfare for example is like 
dude, we can medevac, you know, somebody who's in a, in a, you know, over the line essentially in a drone. Like, just send a, basically like a, you know, small like helicopter, small over helicopter there. out there to go pick somebody yeah, well, up. The stuff they're using them for warfare is like insane. <laughs> that's insane. The, yeah. the other day I was shooting. I mean, and maybe that's where the technology is like, it's not developed in the public domain the general, as much yeah. because what they've got, they're like, no, nah, don't can't even talk about it yet. Don't even worry but about the it. The other right day now. I did a shoot with uh, this company that makes like flak jackets and stuff like that, and we worked with the SWAT team and we worked with some Marine Corps and Army guys and. Mm -hmm. One of, when the SWAT team, they did a, like a real breach, right? They went into and cleared a house. The first thing they do is they open a door and they fly a fucking drone through the house. Wow. So they can scope everything out. And then what happens is the guy who's in the lead, he has a phone strapped to his back. And the guy behind him who's the commander, I think, or the leader or whatever, he can see what the drone's seeing as they're going through the house. Damn. Yeah, dude, we're like... That's fucking Isn't that wild? wild? And it's so cool. I talked to the drone unit, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they don't even have to fly it. They just send it in, and that no, thing knows. It's, there's a dude flying it. Really? Yeah, and the guy I was saying. I would imagine that the software's not far from it uh, it's being It's probably able not to just... far. But the, the thing was that the guy was saying, he's like, you know, if there's somebody in there being with a gun or being combative or whatever, he's like, I'll fly that fucking drone right in their right face. In face yeah. yeah, he's like, I'm not going to let one of my officers get hurt. Well, I mean, because the way that they do those clearings, like, it's. They know exactly which way to turn each time. Like, if there's a fucking T, you go this way. You know, like, right. they, I would imagine that drone is not far from just, like, fucking going in and clearing it out sure. without them, well, you know, just watching the screen. Guns and... Yeah, <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Don't want to be an outlaw right. then, dude. Yeah, I mean, there will always be outlaws. For sure. Don't fucking kid yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah dude alright let's wrap it up there yeah, fucking machine guns on drones I think <laughs> now we're pushing into a different, different yeah, right. realm here thank you thanks bro alright dude you were that much closer to Thanksgiving and the MC Shop Tees leftover sale go to mcshoptees.com and sign up now so that you can get next month's Dwayne's Powertrains t-shirt it is the 60th shirt, the 60th shirt that MC Shop Tees has put out. That's the 60th month we've been in business, thanks to you guys. I really can't thank you enough. It's super fucking rad. From David Brown's to Dwayne's Powertrains and everything else in between. Leftovers will go live Thursday night at midnight. And, you know, just check your email. And you better be a subscriber or you will not get the link. If you are not a subscriber and you've listened to this far into the podcast, mcshoptees.com backslash leftovers might get you there. Love you, motherfuckers.